0: Hey, folks. Welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 210. I'm Dr. Brett Weinstein. You are Dr. Heather Hying. And we are here on Wednesday, January
1: 31. Yep. The very last day of January. Somehow we are rocketing through 2024, a 12th over already. Amazing. In yeah. fact, a bit more than a 12th over, if we're being precise. No, I, actually, with Leap Day, now, we're, still more, we're still more than a 12th yeah,
0: over. We're still more than a 12th over. Yes, but we are also more than a third of the way through the northern winter.
1: More than a third? Yes. No. Oh, more than a third. Yeah. More than a third. No, see, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. More yeah. than a third, which is is good. It yeah. makes the chances of us surviving the northern winter that much better.
1: Yeah. No, and it's it's always, it's an interesting time of year because, um, mm. you know, the, the days are often getting colder, um, but the day length is changing pretty rapidly at this point. Uh, you know, I was at... Uh, it was at our local co op yesterday, just at, after five, and was commenting to the woman manning the cashier, the woman manning the cashier, mm-hmm. um, how light it was still outside, which is, which, you know, a month ago it was well dark by five. Uh, so, anyway, it feels good. It feels like uh, things are looking up um, relatively short time scale astronomically. I can say less about how well things are looking up right here on the planet, but. That's what we're going to talk about today a little bit.
0: Yeah, but the planet is a small piece of the big picture. Just keep that in mind.
1: It's really not helpful. I think it's helpful. We are Earth-based. We We are are Earth-based.
0: But 2024 is going to be a wild ride. I think people just need to realize that that's just just right here.
1: It doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) I think it does. And my guess is there are seven or eight people out there who agree with me. And some of them might be Dark Horse viewers. So, Mm -hmm.
1: mm -hmm. So please join us on Locals. Uh, We have had a great uptick in our local subscribers this last week since uh, we put out uh, a private conversation that you had with Chris Martinson at the end of your shared trip to Panama, including the Panama Canal and the Darien last week. Uh, And that's just that's behind the locals paywall, also available at Chris Martinson's um, Peak Prosperity channel. And um, there have been there we we just are putting a lot more stuff up there on locals. We did our private Q and A there this week, uh, and that's still available. And there will be more stuff coming out there um, reliably now. So please do come join us there right now. There's a watch party going on at locals, and. Uh, and to be, to get all of that content, um, that you do ha- you'd have to pay that's behind a paywall. Uh, you can also just be a member of locals. You don't get as much access, but you will hear when, when stuff is happening and please do also join our channel on Rumble. That costs you nothing. Um, but it helps us out. We're trying to get a hundred thousand subscribers in the next couple of months and uh, we would really love your help to do that. So if you're watching, uh, even if you're, if, even if you're watching somewhere else, hop over to Rumble and, uh, and join the Dark Horse, uh, rumble channel and while you're there you might consider joining us on locals as well Say so anything else about that
0: no i just think it's great and i think the more yep. people who are there the richer the community is so it it's sort of a self-catalyzing phenomenon
1: absolutely and we do do uh some amas there as well um, there's there's lots of good stuff there um drop our guest episodes early there um lots 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 of good stuff over at locals okay uh, we're going to move the rest of our stuff uh, to the end, except for our sponsors, uh, whom we uh, choose carefully, we vet carefully, and uh, we are very, very pleased to have them. So you know that if uh, you hear us read now, we do three at the top of the hour, and then we don't do any throughout the rest of the show. Um, if we are speaking um, words on behalf of sponsors, you can know that we, have, um, that we really do truly vouch for them. Okay, without further ado. It's... Um, Maui Nui, American Hartford Gold, and Freespoke this week. Our first sponsor this week is Maui Nui Venison. That's Maui is in the Hawaiian island, Nui Nui Venison. They are new to us this year, and we are so excited to be working with them. Maui Nui Venison is a mission-based food company bringing the healthiest red meat on the planet directly to your door. We absolutely love this meat and the mission of the company. The meat is extraordinary in both taste and nutritional value. It's not gamey, and it's easy to cook. And the company is amazing and unusual in several regards. Everything about this company... um, Oh, I repeated a line there. Um, They're actually both environmentally and socially responsible, and that's not just uh, lots of companies say that sort of thing, and sometimes they don't mean it at all, and sometimes they're actually doing things that are neither environmentally nor socially responsible. Maui Nui is actually both. Responding to the problem of Maui's invasive axis deer population, Maui Nui venison is helping to restore balance to vulnerable ecosystems and communities in Hawaii by harvesting a limited number of deer. They are seeking to restore balance to Hawaii, not eradicate or farm these animals. They are limited, Maui Nui venison is limited, in how many animals they can harvest, but more impressive than that, they do so in a stress-free way, wild harvesting fully wild meat in a completely unique way, using forward-looking infrared technology to give them eyes in the dark. They hunt exclusively at night, always with a USDA official in attendance, with such precision that only the animals targeted are impacted by the hunt. Plus, Maui Nui Venison has donated over 16,000 pounds of meat to Hawaiian communities that have food insecurity, amounting to over 43,000 meals distributed. Research out of Utah State shows that the meat from Maui Nui Venison is the most nutrient dense and protein dense red meat available. This is nutrition of place. The deer live on volcanic rich soils, which support remarkable plant diversity, and the deer engage in true wild grazing, all of which give Maui Nui Venison the highest protein per calorie, up to 53% more than grass fed beef. We highly recommend excuse me we highly recommend trying their all-natural venison jerky sticks as well for an optimal protein stack snack or their amazing bone broth or any of their wide variety of fresh cuts all available in their online butcher shop they deliver the healthiest red meat on the planet directly to your door Go to maui nui venison.com/darkhorse to get 20% off your first order of fresh venison jerky, delicious bone broth, or even their special ohana box subscriptions, subscriptions which like the deer they harvest are limited in number. That's M A U I dark N I S O N.com/darkhorse to get 20% off your first order. Do it today, you will not regret it
0: really amazing. I imagine starting a company where there really isn't some dark secret actually everything about what you're doing is good, yeah. good for the people who are consuming it. It's really It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool.
1: Um our second sponsor this week is American Heart for Gold. You're here listening to us, so you probably already know just how unstable our institutions are becoming and how incompetent our so called experts. Interest rates are sky high. We are caught between runaway inflation and a recession while being assured that everything is fine. The cost of food, housing, medical care, schools, everything is climbing. Our leaders increasingly make no sense at all. All of this threatens businesses, jobs, and retirement funds. Finding ways to secure your nest egg and insulate your wealth is more important than ever, and adding precious metals to your assets is a great way to stabilize your investments and protect yourself financially. American Heart for Gold is a precious metals dealer that can help you do just that. American Heart for Gold helps individuals and families protect their wealth by diversifying with precious metals. They make it simple and easy to protect your savings and retirement accounts with physical gold and silver. With one short phone call, you can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or inside your IRA or 401k. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an a rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $5,000 of free silver on your first qualifying order. Contact them today by visiting the link in the episode description below or call 866-828-1117. That's 866-828-1117 or you can text Dark Horse to 998899. Once more, that's 866-828-1117 or text Dark Horse to nine nine eight eight. Nine
0: nine. Now, our final sponsor, as you know, Heather, is FreeSpoke, oh. which you also know is a search engine that <laughs> I we have become very fond of. And I'm going to just riff on why that is. Do it. So we live in a crazy era in which it is very difficult to often establish even what the facts are of a story that everybody is talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, you might see the White House press secretary stumbling over condolences for the family of dead service members but the question is what actually happened and where could you even go now in the world that you and i grew up in you could go to a newspaper and you could discover the basic set of facts and then you might find a perspective on them that was part of that newspaper now you can't sometimes even
1: sometimes even within the same newspaper
0: you would find two perspectives yeah. imagine it imagine. And you can't now go to Wikipedia because it might be that they report on this story in a way that at least the basic facts can be deduced from their articles, but it has become what the kids call a risky click. The fact is, Wikipedia is full of crap on lots of topics, including you and me. So, what are you going to do? Well, you can use Freespoke, and Freespoke allows you to search a topic and then see a diversity of viewpoints that are labeled By their typical perspective, you might find a middle-of-the-road perspective, a right perspective, a left perspective. And by looking at those things together, you can often figure out what took place just by simply saying, well, all right, here are the facts that they all agree on. Here are the things they differ. And what is the likely slant? Mm -hmm. So the ability to do that is something that is essential. And we are being denied the ability to do that for ourselves by our media environment. So what we are going to recommend is that you go over to Freespoke. You know what? It's called Freespoke because it doesn't cost anything, which is really cool. All you got to do is just surf over there on your desktop browser or download the app, and you are going to find the ability to deduce for yourself what took place in events that affect us all. So Freespoke.com is the place to go. Check out Freespoke. Oh, check out Freespoke from your desktop or in your app store and download it today to make it your default search engine. Freespoke.com slash about if you want to know how it works. All right. Thank you for the assistance in the end there. I was just, I was riffing. I could have gone on for an hour.
1: Yes. indeed. I'm sure they would appreciate that. Sure. uh, We have other things to talk about. Indeed. Yeah. You have a number of things you want to talk about, and I've got just a little something cool and something grotesque probably at the end. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So I wanted to unpack a little bit. There's uh, some stuff that's going to emerge into the world soon, and uh, it involves some hypotheses that are born of the observations that Zach and I and others were able to make down in Panama on this recent trip. And as longtime viewers, we have a lot of new viewers, but there are longtime viewers who know that we are very careful about the rules of engagement, for lack of a better term, that one has to apply when dealing with scientific hypotheses. And I want to just remind people a little bit about how those rules work, and then I want to talk about two concepts that I believe are going to become uh, important in the dialogue about what's going on uh, in the, uh, the border crossings in Texas, the crossings that are taking place in, in Darien, and in the migration that is happening um in northern south america and all of central america so the first thing i want to discuss is a hypothesis is a plausible explanation for something that is observed you are supposed to formulate every hypothesis that could explain a given uh pattern when you are trying to sort what might be there so to say that something is a hypothesis doesn't mean that you believe it's true in fact There should be a maximum of one hypothesis for any given observation that you think is more likely true than not. And there may not even be one of those, right? A maximum of one which you believe in. And you might call that my hypothesis, but that's an ambiguous term. Or your preferred
1: hypothesis.
0: Right, my preferred hypothesis, or you could separately say this is a hypothesis I think is likely to be true still remains to be tested but, but here are
1: a bunch of other hypotheses for the same observed phenomenon
0: right so the fact that somebody advances a hypothesis doesn't mean they think this is the case and this is a place people get very sloppy and the fact that we uh, you and i are careful about the term hypothesis most people even people who are scientifically very rigorous are often sloppy about the distinction between hypothesis and theory and they treat them as synonyms and so this sort of um blunt instrument that we've been left with means that we get tangled up, we need to be able to talk about what might be going on without saying that we think it's going on. And then we need to separately be able to say, actually, this one I suspect is probably true. And that's a separate level of belief. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about two hypotheses. Um, The first one has to do with the basic observation that there are a huge number of people migrating north from south america which zach and i saw in person michael jan showed us this migration in the darien of panama he took us into the darien gap which is this gap in the pan-american highway 60 mile wide gap in the pan-american highway where the highway has never been completed on the uh path from northern north america to the southern tip of south america
1: southern north america to the northern tip of south america
0: No, no. The gap is at southern North America, but the road goes from Uh, Prudhoe Bay Mm -hmm. to uh, Tierra del Fuego, approximately. It does fork down there. There are two different routes, but (laughs) never mind. You can get all the way from Prudhoe Bay to the southern tip of South America by road, except for the 60-mile gap, which is in uh, an area of dense primary jungle a very important habitat because most of these habitats have been logged. This one is difficult enough that it remains largely intact, but it has this large migration coming through it. Many of the people coming through it have arrived in South America, in Ecuador, in Quito. And the reason for that is because there's no visa requirement. uh, And therefore people can come from all over the world. They can land in Ecuador and then they can migrate through Colombia and into Panama. But the hypothesis is this that there isn't one migration, that there are, in fact, two migrations. Now, maybe there are more than two. But I believe what we observed was that there were two migrations that had a distinct character. And that character looks like this. You You have one migration that has many different ethnicities from all over the world, places like Afghanistan, Yemen, a lot of people from Venezuela, um, it's a very diverse migration, and these are people who are walking the most difficult path through the Darien or one of them and Then you have another migration which is strangely separate and i don 't want to overdraw this distinction
1: uh just before you do that you didn't say so you said uh, afghans Venezuelans i don 't remember what the third um, nationality you mentioned just then. Was But um, Venezuelans, for instance, we know, we saw when we were um, leading a study abroad in Ecuador in 2016, um, I met a a few Venezuelans who had been professionals in Venezuela, like high, high up, uh, you know, doctors, lawyers, uh, business people who had fled in the middle of the night uh, from the political chaos that was engulfing Venezuela. And I met them because they were now running a restaurant. In Cuenca in, in Ecuador, and talked to them, and actually um, met a few other members of their family, and um, and you know those were the only people who I know from this story, uh, but they reported um, many other members of their extended family whom they were trying to encourage to come and such. So um, you know, to the degree that Venezuelans are among the people who are migrating, there is real political and socioeconomic conflict in Venezuela that people are fleeing from and uh, presumably that is the case in Yemen as well in in lots of places so this is that that I think is right. the the category of the first type of uh, reason for immigrants that you're talking about yeah
0: no I think there's been uh, we understand from those who have been watching this, migration unfold that the people who are migrating out of venezuela have changed that the early mm-hmm. migrants were often people who had significant resources they could afford to flee yeah
1: you know like the people like the family i met yeah. right by mm-hmm.
0: aircraft they could have afford, they many of them threw away their careers and they went from you right. know being doctors and lawyers and whatever else to being restaurateurs or mm-hmm. whatever they could figure out but um increasingly the migration is moving down the economic ladder sure. people As have it fewer would and fewer choices. And what that is in part doing is it means that the flight is now this much more perilous one through the Darien, which is just... It These are people
1: at the end of their rope, and so they are likely to end up forced to make decisions that uh, people with more resources would not be forced to make.
0: Right. And I think it is safe to say, um, you and I are very comfortable in uh, tropical forests. We've been in many of them. Um, this is a tropical forest that you and I would not Lightly, we mm-hmm. would think. I mean, it's probably not simply not safe for uh, reasons of human jeopardy, but um, even at the level of the the physical difficulty of this environment, it is something you would want someone who knew how to get through the place, and you would want to think very carefully about how to equip yourself. And these migrants
1: They're not equipped. have none of
0: this. They're yeah. at the mercy of these snakeheads who are like coyotes they get robbed along the way and equipment wise a they bring all the wrong stuff thinking that they are fleeing to the other side and that they will want certain things with them Mm -hmm. they end up jettisoning all of this stuff in the darien um yeah and you know they end up uh sleeping on the ground without proper insulation they get trench foot it's a it's a it's a humanitarian catastrophe Yeah. Um, But in any case, so that's the that's
1: the first category. That's the first category that you that you you are hypothesizing that you are saying that there are two different immigrations,
0: two different immigrations, which Mm -hmm. are, frankly, on the ground in Panama, largely housed separately, which Mm -hmm. is one of the things that ought to make you think carefully. Mm -hmm. Um, So actually, Zach, do you have a picture from the uh, um, Canon Membrio camp?
2: Oh, I don't. I think you do.
0: Yeah. So there are Chinese immigrants. So this is the camp called Kanan Membrio. Um, And this is, I believe that is actually a Chinese uh, aggregation in this camp, which is almost entirely not Chinese. Um, So there are Chinese people in this camp. Um, This camp, we were allowed to freely wander. Um, The people who are administering it talked to us openly about what was taking place. The people who are administering it are locals who um, do not want the camp, do not think the migration is positive, but are stuck in a bind, which is do they want these people yeah. uncared for, which is more destructive, or do they want to provide the infrastructure for these people um, to live decently and they, they're they clearly better off that way. So. They're open about that, but in any case, we open. We could take pictures. We could wander through this camp. The Sena Front, which is the Panamanian uh, border control force, knew we were present. We checked in with them. Mm-hmm. They didn't make any attempt to restrict our ability to talk to people, to take pictures. Nothing. We were completely free.
2: Can I show the Sena Front patch? Or is that not real?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, Zach wants to show you the – but that, actually, no, that's from the different – that's from the other camps, so we'll come back to it in a second. So anyway, there's a highly diverse group of people who have just emerged from the jungle. They are recovering in these camps.
1: So they're at the north edge of the Darien Gap. Uh, as 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 are you. You you did you didn't come at it from Colombia. You're at the Panama end, um, so you have not um, you know built a highway and traversed. You have not crossed into the forest, um, but so these people have emerged, have have survived uh, the jungle and are basically trying to find their footing um, before they continue on their migration north.
0: Right, which involves two things. It revol- involves recovering from the journey, you know, several days of eating food, sleeping, not. On the ground, uh, whatever injuries they have, uh, get a chance to recover. But they also have to find money to get on the buses that actually speed them through Panama and into Costa Rica and points north. Um, some of them, most of them, started out with enough money to do that, but having been robbed in the Darien, they have to now find a way uh, to earn money.
1: And these buses. Are um, standard Latin American buses uh, put together by either governments or private entities in Panama, Costa Rica, Honduras, etc., or are they something else?
0: It is unclear. They look just like the other buses you would see on the highway. From outside, it's very hard to tell unless Mm -hmm. you happen to see the occupants. Um, Now, part of this could just be standard Central American entrepreneurialism where there's a bunch of people going north they're willing to pay to do it so buses show up and the business starts and part of it may be mm-hmm. um, facilitated by Panamanians, by other organizations like the IOM, which we saw the emblem of all over this migration.
1: IOM stands for... This is
0: the International Organization for Migration and it is a branch of the UN uh, okay. which uh, you should read their website and their their white paper at the website in which they... Have a, at best, utterly childish understanding of the impacts of migration. They view it as a purely good thing. You know, kind of the way um, naive economists regard anything you pay money for as a good thing because you're an agent who is entitled to deploy money in your your own on your own behalf, and therefore it doesn't matter that you're buying heroin that results in your overdose. It was still a valid economic choice. It wasn't the result of, uh, you know, circumstances that forced you into a bad choice or anything like that. So these people believe migration is simply a good thing. They're facilitating it. I don't know what their role is in uh, producing these buses. These buses could be anywhere from organic to synthetic and it Mm -hmm. would look the same. Um, But, okay, so you have this diverse migration that we are allowed to look at. We talked, To many people in this migration, they all gave us the same story about why they were migrating. Not a single person said anything about uh, political oppression. They all spoke about economic opportunity as the thing that had motivated them to face this journey, which means that when they come across the southern U.S. border, they do not qualify for political asylum, Um, and yet that is the ostensible explanation for uh, their being waved through with little more than their own word for who they are and what their birth date is. Um, Okay, so you've got this diverse migration, and then you've got this other migration, and everything is flipped on its head. So do you want to show a picture from uh, the San Vicente camp? So here, these folks are just outside the San Vicente camp. That's why I can take this picture of them. They're uh, all Chinese. You're not
1: allowed to photograph in the Santa Vicente camp?
0: Uh, absolutely forbidden. I took this, I literally put my camera up to a chain link fence, and I did so in a place where there was something blocking the view of the border security, the Santa Front officers, so that it wouldn't be seen that I was taking the picture. Um, but in, in any case, this is a camp that is almost entirely Chinese uh, in origin. These people largely come a different route. They skip most of the peril of the Darien Gap by traveling by boat. We are not allowed into the camp. The migrants themselves are utterly unwilling to have a conversation, though it is clear that there are those among them who speak English. They pretend not to. They um, There is just a hostility Um when one tries to interact. And I also had the sense this is obviously not something I can be certain of, but I had the sense that after trying to interact that uh, there were a couple of individuals who became very interested in figuring out who we were and what we were trying to discover, that that is to say ostensible migrants who acted in a way as if they were part of an intelligence gathering uh, operation. I can't say for sure that that's what I saw, but wow, did it feel like it. Mm
2: Um, Zach, it's you want to add something many- worth noting? Um, put this picture up now, this camp is entirely synthetic. There was no village there before. It's a rectangle. It's a fenced in rectangle guarded by senafront which is the, the border authority in Panama and put together largely by IOM. It's not a village that turned into a migration camp,
0: right? In fact, it's built of different stuff too. It's built of okay. shipping containers, which are I don't know that it means anything, but apparently Chinese in origin. Um, but anyway, it, it is it is a synthetic camp uh, surrounded by a fence, guarded by Centifront, who does not allow pictures and does not allow you in. Um, Zach has a picture here of a patch, and this is interesting. Um, a Centifront guard was wearing this patch. He did not want to be photographed, but... This says, Darien, no es una ruta. Hmm. It means it's not a root. So it's
1: a jungle. It's
0: a jungle. Hmm. Even people in Panama who are charged with administering a camp like this are not happy about what's taking place. I, I don't, you know, this border, uh, the center front guard doesn't speak for everybody, but there was certainly a widespread sentiment that this was not good for Panama. Um, but in any case, the, the hypothesis that I want to put forward is that the economic migration that is so evident that you saw at the first camp is actually cloaking this second migration, which is traveling a different route, which is housed separately and which on the ground has an absolutely distinct character and is treated in the inverse way by the authorities. They don't want it observed. They can't prevent you from seeing it from the edge of the camp, but they do not want you getting any deeper into the thing. They don't want you photographing it. And it's not obvious why they would have a different policy, in fact, the opposite policy as they did in the main migration. So anyway, the hypothesis that I want to put on the table, and I'm not saying that I, I necessarily believe that this is true, but I do believe it is plausible, is that the economic migration out of South America is cloaking a migration of largely military-age Chinese migrants who are motivated by something distinct from... They're not fleeing the CCP. It's not obvious that they are uh, concerned about the view of the CCP. It appears that they are actually facilitated by it, that they've left China with the knowledge of... The CCP and that they have joined this migration, which we now try to talk about as one thing. But if it's two things, that will confuse things. So I just want to add. Go ahead. Uh,
1: You just just a point of clarification. You said uh, you kind of glossed over. You said military age people. Uh, The demographics, I mean, I'm interested in the direct comparison of the demographics that you were observing, not in terms of racial identity, you've already gone over that, um, but age distribution and families and stuff um, at the, let's just call them like the economic migrants camps versus um, San Vicente, the synthetic rectangular camp, mostly filled with Chinese people. Um, I will say the one, one of the pictures that we saw there from San Vicente, there was a woman. Yep. I'm uh, um, sure uh, masked of course. Um but I'm I'm curious about um I mean I you've you've implied that there's a demographic difference but let's start by um I want to ask you what, you know, how many families did you see at the camps that looked like economic migrant camps that have um shown up in places where there are already villages uh and where you are allowed to walk in freely and where the people the migrants themselves are actually willing to
0: talk to you. Um, Families are all over the place. Um, There are tragedies born of this. There are uh, mothers walking out of the jungle without their children and children walking out of the jungle without their mothers. Um, And that's not how they walked in. Right. Um, So it is a dire situation. And I, I will just say for those who aren't experienced in a habitat like this. Part of the problem with it is that it takes an injury that would mean almost nothing if it happened to you. A sprained ankle can become fatal in an environment where you need to get through in a short period of time, right? Where yeah. you're trying and where
1: to... the where the mud. I mean, I I've, I've been in the Darien once, but you know, I haven't been in the in the jungle of the Darien this this deeply. Um, but in general, in neotropical lowland forests, the mud can be so thick, so deep that you really need. Not just fitness, but strength, in order to get through it.
0: Yeah, you. It, yeah. It's a, it's a slog. It's a slog, right? And right. you know, it, the the Darien is worse than many of the places that you and I have been because it has some altitude to it, right? Um, and so, not only are you dealing, and you're talking
1: about relief, like up and down. You're going up and down. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not just all at altitude.
0: The Cordillera, the mountain range that yeah. uh, runs from the Continental Divide down into South America, runs through the Darien and. They have to cross it. And okay. so it's not as high as it would be in the US. But imagine it in super slippery conditions where thousands of people have struggled their way up some muddy hill, mm-hmm. right? It's just gonna be, yeah. you know, it's it's terribly slippery. So
1: and it's also true that um, any any abrasion, any cut, any any break in the barrier. Uh, that your body has which is your skin uh, will take forever to heal and you're in a place where there are many more pathogens um, such that um, you know a a very minor abrasion can become a very major issue uh, at least in the lowlands less so the higher up you are
0: yeah but there's also the added uh, you've got people from all over the world and so mystery illnesses are also a feature of people are
1: arriving with some pathogens
0: right and you know it can be cholera which but again, if you're a first world denizen, mm-hmm. you know cholera is not a big deal; it's treatable. But if you get cholera, you need access
1: to fresh water, or else cholera can right, be deadly. Right, and then
0: you need uh, you need to be treated with antibiotics if you get it. Um, so, anyway, yes, all of these things that would be minor for us are not minor in this context at all. They just all compound each other.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, at the at the camp you mentioned, in Braille, um, I believe it was a couple migrants that i talked to and they had come a shorter route it was somehow they had arrived after a two-day trek through uh darien um as opposed to five or six days which lots of people were doing they said that these were young men and they were shocked that the families that had made it through with them had made it okay Mm. um they were okay they were torn up but fine but they were very surprised that
1: and, there, and there were, it's, it's, it's these things that they're reporting, um, the difficulty of the terrain and the depth of the mud and the fact that wounds don't heal. And the
0: bandits. They're being, and the bandits. They're being okay. robbed and they're yep. being robbed by other migrants. Tragically, they're being robbed by indigenous people. You imagine mm-hmm. you have all of these desperate people who've taken whatever possessions they've got, yep. migrating through, and so it's turning people who would not ordinarily be interested in robbing anybody. The problem is, um, it it's just a very perilous situation, and uh, it's a tragedy in many dimensions.
2: So I will say I asked exactly that question to at a different camp, but to a couple migrants, Venezuelan migrants. Um, I said, "What was the most dangerous?" piece of the truck and they said without a doubt uh, la selva the jungle the forest um even though i guess that can huge, mean a number of things but even um, though there was a huge amount of danger from bandits yeah. and other people
1: and so one you know one thing that that we know that you know this is one of this is one of the things that i used to really try to bring home to students before i would start study abroad trips was i you know i know you're worried about the charismatic stuff you're worried about the big cats and the snakes and there are big cats and there are snakes that can do you harm but it's the water and it's the tree falls it's the stuff you're not expecting and you know in longer term you know i was taking them into field stations which were rustic but they were field stations we had plenty of fresh water and we had first aid kits and we had a medic and and such um but it's you know things like suddenly the water is rising and there's nowhere to go Yep. uh and uh, the wind has kicked up and a storm has come in and suddenly there's cracks all over the place. And you don't know where the tree is coming from when it comes at you because it's falling. Yep. Um, those, are, a, those are the ways that people um, get felled by La Selva, by the forest. Not nearly as often by a viper, certainly not nearly as often by an anaconda, and definitely not nearly as often as by
2: a big cat. I yeah. think the wildlife is pretty much gone from the It's probably the hunted out. It's gone
0: Um, from the route. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Darien is huge and, uh, but story for another day, but it may be targeted for liquidation, which will destroy everything. And even just putting a road through it will do that too slower, but it will Mm happen. Um, But, in any case
1: okay so um families are somehow making this trek and some members of some families don't make it because it's it's beyond arduous um and yet still on the other end at the at the northern edge of the gap um where um what you're calling economic migrants are gathering in cap uh, camps like something membrio
0: canon membrio canon
1: membrio um You have people of all ages, um, families with young kids, elderly people, not so much.
0: Um, Some. uh, I would say, in retrospect, I I wish I had thought of it more carefully on the ground, but in retrospect, the demographics of the mass migration are about what you would expect, you know?
1: No, I I I don't know what to expect. Well, you don't
0: have the oldest old. Okay. Right, there are people mm-hmm. who just simply couldn't possibly make it. Yeah, lots of people. We did see old people who had come through, and in fact, we talked to many migrants who talked about the families that they were traveling with, and mm-hmm. the families were right there. Right, mm-hmm. these people are
1: so three generations, not uncommon. Three generations, he... not uncommon okay. at all. In fact, okay. common. Yep,
0: um, but
1: of course, three generations, uh, when your generation time may be 20 years, um, could be you know. people might not even be 50 yeah right that's true but there were some there were some 60s okay
0: maybe some 70s but Mm -hmm. anyway it, it it looked natural Um, In the Chinese camp, and again, this is my memory. So now by
1: comparison, the demographics going on at uh, San Vicente, the camp that that you describe as synthetic, it's rectangular, uh, it is being run by the IOM, which is a sub-agency of the UN. This is not where a village was. There are no villagers involved in maintaining it, and you're not allowed in, and there's an air of secrecy. Uh, You're not allowed in, you're not allowed to photograph, and the people don't want to talk to you.
0: And there's a line of buses at the... Edge of it we did actually not see anybody leave from it but mm-hmm. there's a line of buses waiting for people to board to go north do you want to show and them? where
1: are those what and so I'll have the same question for you about those buses as I did about the other ones um those look like um, potentially very fancy Latin American buses or something more than that do we know what funds
0: these no idea okay no idea and, I, so, and it could be it could be organic but nonetheless it is a measure of the the flow through right mmm you have these well buses.
1: and I mean just to you also said that many of those the immigrants at San Vicente who are almost entirely Chinese are coming in by boat rather than doing the Selva, the forest crossing um so they um are likely not to have been robbed so they still have money so they can
2: afford to continue north. not only that no, but they, they have, have been act- through they were they just go through a shorter route to there they
0: go through a minimal route and there's actually we don't have it to show but Um, There is a Chinese-in-origin cartoon that shows the route, and it shows them on boat, Mm -hmm. bypassing most of the Darien. But, okay, so you've got this second migration. People are not forthcoming. You've asked about the demographics. I do not remember seeing children there. I'm not saying it was zero. Mm
1: -hmm. And you weren't allowed to walk inside,
0: right? Absolutely. Who knows what, you know. Right. There's there's sampling error. It could be that sure. it just from the angle I was standing, that it looked different than it actually was. Mm-hmm. But my sense was there were women, but they were they were a. Small it wasn't fraction, an even sex ratio. Not an even sex Whereas ratio. Whereas at by the far. other
1: camps, it was an evenish sex ratio. Or still yeah, biased towards. Women?
0: I, if I think back, I don't see any any okay. bias. Maybe there is, but okay, I didn't so see it
1: at the among the economic what you're calling the economic migrants. It looked like a relatively. Um, non-selected cross-section of society missing the eldest and the most infirm.
0: Right. Whereas... And missing tiny infants, which I'm tiny, not saying weren't infants. there, but okay. I didn't, didn't see them.
1: Fair enough. Whereas at uh, the camp that, I don't think we've named um, what this is, as opposed to the economic migrants, which is almost entirely um, Chinese people, you're saying um, the sex ratio is wildly skewed. There are women, but the sex ratio is wildly skewed. And you were seeing neither children nor old people. Yeah. And and, however, caveat, um, you had less access to those people and that camp. And therefore, it's possible, you know, all the children were on the inside or something. like. But that's not usually the way of children in such yeah. places. They would be running around. There'd be some evidence of
0: that. Right. Um, so this raises a question. And... I do think it makes sense for people to go check out the Chris Martinson discussion.
1: That you can find at our locals. Yeah, because in yeah. fact,
0: you you watch this idea dawn in real time, right? So what, what I realized in talking to Chris, you may remember many years ago, we were at Evergreen. I wrote a piece, which I was experimenting with a WordPress site. I wrote a piece that I published on it. Um, I remember it was, I think, Green, and it had picture of an aardvark which was an inside (laughs) inside joke um we can talk about the aardvark joke another time i think we probably should but anyway the point was that there is an odd paradox with the chinese one child policy um and that paradox has to do with the work of a guy named ronald fisher who's an evolutionary biologist who wasn't talking about people at all but what ronald fisher came up with famously one of the The anchor points of evolutionary biology is the basis of sex ratio theory, and it's pretty simple. What he said was that although a male in many species can produce vastly more offspring than a female, there is no advantage to being male or female because the average number of offspring tends to be the same. For every male who overproduces offspring above the average, there are losers who underperform. And so, at the population
1: level, there's not an advantage, and therefore, you expect as as you get a skew in a population towards one sex or the other, that those parents who produce the sex that is now limiting will win um, because um, their children will be more more needed in the population.
0: And that's the key thing: is to the extent that a population has a bias, there is an advantage to producing whatever's rare. So. applied that to china and i said why doesn't this work here Mm -hmm. put yourself in the mind of a chinese couple that is going to produce one child if you produce a male there's a pretty good likelihood that male never finds a mate and that's a problem if you produce a female not only is that child going to find a mate but they can marry up because the point is males need mates and so a female Uh, is in a very good position in the reproductive hierarchy to find uh, a mate who, with good prospects or whatever is desirable.
1: And frankly, uh, and I don't remember if you wrote this into that piece, but uh, societies can recover from a shortage of uh, males much more easily than they can recover from a shortage of females, both because uh, there's a long history of societies having to do that in times of war, and because the nature of the sexes is that uh, one male can um, can make pregnant many, many females. And um, gestation and lactation being what it is, and absolutely mandatory until very modern technology has uh, rendered some of these things somewhat um, outsourced capable, possible. Uh, it just takes a long time for any woman to produce uh, more than one kid.
0: Yep. So the upshot of that piece from many years ago was there's something odd about the fact that in the context of a sex-biased population that it does not naturally correct by the logic of Ronald Fisher's sex ratio theory. Mm -hmm. And what I hypothesized then was that there was a second adaptive mechanism that overrides this in the case that a population needs an army, that effectively overproducing males naturally predisposes a society towards um, confronting... Neighbors, and that that would be a reason that a society would have a paradoxical bias in favor of the already surplus sex if it was males. Mm -hmm. Now, I remember thinking that and spooking myself because of the implications of a nation as large as China overproducing males and therefore producing something that looked an awful lot like an army, and then. I let it go because I didn't see the prediction of that hypothesis manifest in the world. I did not see China invading neighbor states with its surplus males. And so uh, I wouldn't say it was falsified, but it became less and less a feature of my thinking because the evidence just didn't suggest that it had been correct. Mm -hmm. In seeing what's going on in the Darien of Panama, I now think maybe it was correct. Um, The hypothesis is that Those males, who seem to be the bulk of the people moving through these camps, might plausibly be uh, a fighting force that is being moved through an open border uh, that is, as far as I'm concerned, without rational explanation. And that they are starting in the Darien of Panama because that provides an explanation which distracts from the real one.
1: By joining... That provides cover.
0: Yeah, that it... because there's
1: already there is there is an organic. There are several really organic, economic migrations happening already, uh, being funneled through this narrow point between the two Americas, uh, and heading north and. Everyone can point to real economic and political upheaval everywhere in the world practically uh, and we and we and we know that the southern border has been a point of contention forever
0: yeah and, and yeah so, it's, it's, so
1: there's there's already real stuff going on and uh and it would be easy it would be an easy place to have other things start to happen that get passed off as more of the same
0: exactly and for people who are our age, we remember. Similar migrations from Central America that are just well. Especially, very I mean,
1: we, grew, we grew up in LA, so you know we're close enough to the border uh, that we, you know, we heard from we heard from people at various moments about, oh yes, you know, there is there is less, there is more. They're trying to cut, you know, shut down immigration at the border, uh, and uh, you know, it's less right, right near the coast. Um, the California border with Mexico is not nearly so. Uh, political as uh, in texas for instance or farther inland even in in the california border but um, but it's always fraught
0: well it's always fraught but let's just say there was for most of our childhoods there was an influx of central americans they were famously hard-working and entrepreneurial doesn't mean that bad folks didn't get through occasionally but in general you know, the sense of people who interacted with that migration because of where they lived.
1: LA's economy would have fallen apart without uh, the Mexican and Central American immigrants.
0: Right. So anyway, that the familiarity of that pattern and the frankly not very threatening nature of that migration doesn't mean it was legitimate. It doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. Americans didn't pay a price for the fact that lots of folks were taking jobs that were therefore not available for Americans. But the scuttlebutt when we were kids was that they're taking jobs that most Americans wouldn't want. And so, anyway, it was uh, cryptically understood to be a uh, a mutualism.
1: Yeah, the, I mean the the whole the whole migrant labor thing, um, you know, which which then became politicized in a different regard with regard to getting you know labor labor unionization, I guess, of of the labor movement, but. Um, you know, having people moving up and down the West Coast to to pursue what needs to be picked out of, you know, is it strawberries now? Is it you know, strawberries in the Central Valley of California? Is it apples in Washington? You know, what, what needs to be picked now? These are people without um, any security and without any promise that there'll be work next year, although if the climate continues and the apples grow, yep, you show up next year and we'll pay you again. But the conditions might be a little worse and we might not give you what you came to expect this year. Um, but Uh, If those same farms, the same um, farms with orchards had tried to hire uh, Americans, American-born Americans, uh, they wouldn't have been able to make a profit uh, because they would have had to pay those people too much.
2: Yep.
0: So I don't think our current economic circumstances mirror the circumstances of the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, I think this is a very different environment where Americans are struggling at a level that is... uh, New. Mm-hmm. Familiar.
1: Um I thought the economy was
0: fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that. <laughs> I, um I have not noticed it. Um, but in any case, there is a migration. It seems to be motivated by economic opportunity. Mm-hmm. The sheer number of people who is migrating through Central America into the US is so large that it is impossible to imagine that this is not going to be um hugely disruptive to the entire economic environment. It is not clear what these people are going to do upon arriving. There are very frightening possibilities that these people are being allowed to to move across our southern border because somebody has plans um, to utilize them in one way or another. And that is a frightening prospect on its own. But even if that were not true, and the simple answer is that they are supposed to find something productive to do in the U.S., there are so many of them, and there are so many Americans who already don't have something productive to do that this can't possibly Mm -hmm. uh, not be viewed as a threat to vulnerable uh, American citizens. And why our federal government would be so uh, unconcerned yeah. Uh, maybe they're, this week, becoming embarrassed enough that they have to mm-hmm. pretend to be concerned, but they clearly haven't been concerned. Um, that is a paradox of its own, right? That just seems shocking. Um, the most basic duty of the federal government is you know, to protect the integrity of the country from things that threaten it, including a mass migration of desperate people. Um,
1: so... Um... I hear a couple of embedded hypotheses, or, or rather Im- yeah, Im- embedded with one another, within one another. Um, the, the one from a couple of decades ago that you hypothesized then uh, was that the one-child policy, uh, whether by whether intentionally or not, uh, will serve to create a, a standing army that will then be you know, ready. And uh, furthermore, you have a hypothesis that having seen what you have just seen in Panama a a week or so ago, um, that it feels that it feels like there are two migrations happening and that one of them is indeed a primarily Chinese migration of primarily military aged people of primarily men. uh, Who are
0: unforthcoming about what they are doing in contrast to every other person we met.
1: And um, and everything indeed about uh, that migration is different in some way, uh, and that that is that uh, is hard to point to because if you're just at the border of you know Texas and Mexico, seeing people come across, you know, who, everyone looks the same. I mean, everyone. It's in fact it's a very very diverse group of group of migrants, but you can't tell the difference at that point. As as you can in the Darien, because the camps look different, the way they're being treated is different, the way uh, the secrecy is different. Everything is different, right? Um, But once you combine everyone later on, once it gets funneled, once everyone gets funneled together at the crossings, it's hard to tell. Um, What might be an alternative explanation? What, What what might an alternative hypothesis be? To explain not the one-child policy, what was that about, but to explain what you saw, what you actually saw in Panama with these different kinds of camps, these different demographic makeups, the different secrecy, the different treatment, etc. Uh,
0: another explanation <clears throat> would be that either with a wink from the Chinese Communist Party or evading its surveillance, that people fleeing china were looking for opportunity in the u.s and that because they have lived under a totalitarian regime their reluctance to talk is a reflex based on having been surveilled not knowing. that
1: explains a tiny piece of the difference doesn't explain the disparity in wealth and organization and resources that seem to be coming not just from the people but also from the UN
0: no it could be it could it could i don't think it does because okay, no, it no, didn't, fine, fine. Didn't but like i, like I,
1: w- I want to hear an alternative hypothesis
0: sure no i, I think it's a, i think it's a good yeah. exercise and it may well be but the fact of chinese culture being remote from not all, but most of the other cultures that are migrating mm-hmm. might mean that just from the point of view of delivering services to Chinese people, it might be easier to organize them. If there was a large number of them, China's a large source population, large number of migrants motivated by something like economic opportunity or fleeing oppression or whatever it was, they might end up in Panama. They might.
1: How many camps did you see? We saw,
0: no, we saw three camps.
1: And what was the, which, in which style was the third camp that you haven't yet talked about? Third
0: camp was actually a different style, but in terms of the demographics, it was very much like the Canon Membrio camp. Economic migrants, economic migrants, varied Muslim in terms Chinese of age
1: structure, uh, ethnicity, um, had appeared to have sprung up organically near a village, such uh, that the villagers were helping to run it, even though they would rather that the immigrants not be there. Absolutely, All of this. and
0: yeah. our freedom to and you could roam, walk in, talk to yeah. people, uh, photograph it. All of that matched the Canamembrio camp and not the San Vicente camp. Uh,
2: not quite. There, it was a combination that camp that we saw the second camp that we saw um mostly matched canon but there was a section of it that we weren't allowed into that was like an organized set of buildings for migrants put together by iom so we didn't see that part of it but it was mostly like the first organic camp
0: But I, okay Dem- there may be an, a piece of it that we didn't get into which yeah, I there was see but um in terms of the demographics, it's not that there was a huge population. Right. The yeah. same it was the same no, people and frankly, I'd and be I'd were, be
1: surprised I mean, if you were allowed to roam freely through all parts of any camp. Like that doesn't that, why would you be able to?
0: I mean that uh, was that was the case in uh in cannot remember. Yeah. But anyway, uh, let's let's finish out the hypothesis. Yeah. The hypothesis would be that the origin story of the Chinese migrants is very different. Their economic status, their uh, the journey obviously is very different from China than it would be from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Although equally different from Venezuela as from Yemen or Afghanistan, both of whom you saw yep. member, you know, immigrants from.
0: Agreed. But yeah. it might be that economically, I mean, really, money allows you to skip the most treacherous parts of the Darien. So right. the Chinese migrants, maybe because of economies of scale, because there are lots of them, and they can arrange boat travel. I don't know, something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could imagine a different story allows a better route. Economies
1: of scale is actually an interesting possibility here. Yeah. Right? Yep.
0: It is not clear why you would join in Panama.
1: What do you mean, why you would join in Panama? Why you would join what in Panama?
0: If you can skip the Darien by boat... It is not obvious why. Why do, why
1: do you land in, in still in the Darien?
0: Right. You've got a lot oh, don't of thing to do mm-hmm. to get into the U.S.
1: Yeah, although, so I, um, as you know, I did a field season on the Caribbean coast of um, of Costa Rica just, and then, you know, we've spent time, and I also did study abroad on the Caribbean coast of Panama, very near there in Bocas. Um, but the season that I was down in Talamanca in uh in Costa Rica, um, what I was hearing, it was the off season for surfing and therefore it was the off season for cocaine and that the boats that were coming, this would would have been mid nineties, the drug boats that were coming up from South America, mostly from Colombia. Um, during the season when there were lots of tourists, which in that part of Costa Rica meant surfers, w- were in town, um, the boats would always stop and, and drop to their, um, to their local dealers, and then there would be basically a coke-infused economy uh, for, for the, I don't remember how much of the year um, that, um, that it happened, and, but those boats had a hard time that the, the story and this is you know this is decades ago and it was hearsay um but i was i was i was living there in a time when um when it wasn't surf season and therefore it wasn't coke season it was actually dangerous because um, there was um, there was still some coke around, and the dealers had no one to sell it to, and so they were coked up, and they were not making any money, and they were going on occasional shooting sprees, and sometimes they went into the forest, and otherwise I was the only person hanging out in the forest because I was there to study poison frogs, and um, the people would occasionally you know band together, the people of the town would band together and chase the drug dealers out into the forest, and then they'd be you know, coked up in the forest with guns. Um, and everyone was sort of waiting for these coke boats to come back. But during a lot of times of the year, they couldn't, um, was the story. That, that, that basically for boats of a certain size, it wasn't going to work very well. So I, you know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm I, not
0: arguing that, that there's obvious boat route. But the point is Panama is a funny place. Panama does not have the uh, lack of a visa requirement that Ecuador does. So there's something about joining a migration in Panama that's just funny. But didn't
1: you say that they, I mean, they had, they, they, the expectation was had come in into Ecuador and had just taken the boat, the short distance to evade the gap. It wasn't that they, they flew into Panama and fly to the Darien Gap.
0: That's true.
2: So I have important information here. No one is getting around the Darien Gap. They are getting to, depending on how much money they have to spend, they're taking boats from a Colombian, uh, Town to various different Colombian towns. No one is getting past the Panamanian border on boats. I'm not going to say no one, but the route that most people are taking, including the Chinese migrants, the Chinese are paying more to go further. But there are like three different towns. They're, they're bypassing to... and they're
0: also apparently
2: using things like
0: horses. There's mechanisms yeah, that are but no, bypassing. No, one no one's sense.
2: even getting yeah. into Panama. They're staying behind the Colombian border and then walking through the Darien. everyone that we saw was doing that. Even um, if they're taking advantage of horses or different things to make it easier, they're all going through and the
1: that's period. I mean that 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 actually that 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 fits with the story that a lot of the jungle that you would have to miss would be in Colombia that you can take boats a short distance but um but you can't just cross the um the border by sea into Panama because Panama has a long history of watching out for these boats um that are the it was drug boats, maybe it still is, but
0: now it's migrant boats right yeah so that 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 all that fits fits ish yeah. I mean, there's still something. There's still there's something odd about the whole thing. Yeah. Right. You've got a migration which is unnecessary. If we're going to allow people in, it's odd to make them walk through all of Central America or take buses or anything else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, there is a paradox there. Yeah. How exactly it works. So,
1: but so the the alternative hypothesis I hear has something to do with um, uh, there's more Chinese migrants um, who. You know, maybe because they're coming from a long, longer ways away, they either already knew each other or have had time to know each other. Um, they um, they don't share a language with any of the other migrants, which would also be the true for the Afghans and sure. the Yemenis. But you know, not for like the Venezuelans versus the Colombians versus. But there's the some Bolivians, critical whatever.
0: mass of there's some people. Some
1: critical mass of people. They share a language. They share a culture. They share the journey up until this point. Uh, and um that economies of scale being what they are, they can join forces um, but but that still doesn't explain at le- you know unless the San Vicente camp that you saw is was an outlier it was just like that 's the only camp that looks like that, and that 's the one you saw like why is that one in the middle of nowhere not <clears throat> organic, um, totally synthetic, totally rectangular, as opposed to having grown up from um from where people you know emerge from the forest bedraggled and tired and why is there a long end of buses there waiting maybe that's because of the relative wealth of the chinese um but there's there's still a piece that feels like that the only alternative hypothesis so far that we've got on the table the evidence that you saw doesn't explain it as well
0: yeah that's the problem with it yeah um i would also say there's a part that um is just a feeling. Sure. The hostility, I I know what it's like. From the migrants. From the migrants. Yeah. I know what it's like when somebody does not feel at liberty to talk. They Mm. want to talk, but they don't feel that it is safe. Sure. That is very different than what we felt. These were people who viewed us dimly. Mm -hmm. They did not want to talk because it makes no sense to share information with us, right? Yeah. It's all downside. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, yeah, and you know, I I also just can't explain. Which is rare.
1: Like we've run into that sometimes in our travels, but usually, yes. if you if you have an openness to you and make some attempt at understanding where you are and the culture you're in and the language and just, you you don't need to be anywhere close to fluent, but just like make some attempt to be like, hi, I'm a human being. You are too. I'm really interested in the fact that I'm in your home and I want to know more about it. Almost everyone has an interest in that.
0: Yeah. Even more imagine that you had decided to up and leave your home culture and you were going to America and Americans show up in Panama interested in your story. Mm-hmm. It is not a slam dunk that you would be anything other than fascinated by this first. Taste it may be
1: concerned at first that this isn't what it appears. Like, oh, what are you, you know what what is this? Are you are you the feds? Whatever, sure. right? But, um, but if not that, then interested. I would yeah, think.
0: I mean, and yeah. we we clearly weren't. I yeah. mean, just our style of dress and all would have suggested otherwise. So anyway, the thing did feel very off, mm. um, and. In any case, uh, yes, multiple embedded hypotheses. A kind of Trojan migration is one of them. That there's a mm-hmm. natural, organic uh, economic migration, and then there's some other migration traveling within it. And here in the U.S., the point is, well, what do you think of the migrants? Like, well, which migrants? You know? Yeah. Um. Now so. that's
1: that's it. That's that's the punchline, right? Like, what? <clears throat> What do you think of what's going on at the border? Yeah. What do you think of the migrants? What do you think of what's going on at the border? I think there are a lot of things going on at the border.
0: Yeah, I think there's more than one thing going on yeah. at the border and my you know, I'm against all of it because I'm an American and I know that you it's one thing for a small number of people to enter the country. It's another thing for hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of of new Americans to arrive or de facto Americans, right? The point is it was our economy humming along so well that it can just simply absorb that number of people and not directly rob the people who are struggling in our economy already, no way. Mm -hmm. So I'm against it for that reason, but I'm absolutely compassionate with respect to the fact that these people are fleeing something real, right? And you know, I'm- I'm, as an American, I'm honored that they would think that America was still a good place to go. As we're watching it collapse, you know, it's interesting that a lot of people still view it in uh, terms that I think, frankly, probably need an update. But but anyway, I'm against that at one level, but it's all human. And then there's a question of, did our enemies figure something out? About this migration, either as an opportunity or did they seed it through the international community, mm-hmm. right, in order to cloak what they're up to? You know, again, it's a hypothesis, but it's one that we really need to think carefully about. Um, and I would just say one last thing there's an, one more hypothesis related to this. Maybe there are two, but there's one that I want to put on the table here. Mm-hmm. When I did my uh, episode with, the folks from the U.S. military who had been military whistleblowers. threatened, whistleblowers Right. threatened. Um, two
1: episodes, right? You spoke yeah. to several people in two different episodes about the effects that the vaccine mandates had on them.
0: Right. right. And some of these people had been driven out and some of them were fighting to maintain their careers. But in any case, um, this looked hostile to American interest to take some of our mm-hmm. best people and drive them out because they were uh, reluctant about vaccines that frankly a reasonable person had every reason to be reluctant about. And I said two things at the time. One is I said, you know what? That is going to leave behind a force that is compliant to immoral Mm -hmm. orders. And that's frightening. But two, this one way that this could come about is that somebody could have noticed our pay for play political system and instead of corrupting it for some corporate interest that was bad for Americans they could have corrupted it for one of our international antagonist's interests and just basically induced us to harm ourselves mm. right vaccinating our entire military right that wasn't a good idea yeah there was no defense for that these were in general healthier than average Americans younger than average Americans these were not people jeopardized by covid and giving them something, even if it had shown itself to be perfectly harmless in the trials, we nobody knew what the long-term impact was. That was a dumb thing to do. So why would we do a dumb thing like that, right? It's not in obvious that there's a risk there. And uh, so anyway, the hypothesis I put on the table then was that if you have a corrupt political system where it does the bidding of whoever ponies up the, the dough then what's to stop our enemies from ponying up the dough, mm. right? And if you think there is something to stop them, like we have laws against that, um, then the point is, okay, well, where are the court cases that indicate that those laws have been applied in a way that has frustrated the enemies that have undoubtedly tried it? Yeah. And if those court cases don't exist, then my contention is you'd be a fool to think this never happened, and we don't know what effect it has. But anytime we, you know, savage ourselves... We should ask ourselves the question of did we do it because we were confused or did we do it because we were induced to do it? Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, another hypothesis.
1: Indeed. Um, Did you want to tie this in to IgG4 at all or do do you want to save that?
0: Let us save that until next week. Okay. Um, People who are interested in diving into that discussion uh, should check out the locals chat with um, with Chris Martinson, good. uh, there's some stuff on it there and then we can do a deeper dive next week.
1: All right. Uh, so that's, um, that was a good solid conversation already. Um, I got a couple of little things, but did you also want to do a big conversation about a totally different topic right now?
0: Um, no, I think I think we should hold that one as well.
1: Okay. I just won't even say the noun then. Yeah, we're going to save that. Okay, so um, we could talk for a while about these things that I want to talk about here, but probably better not to because we'll disgust everyone. Oh, no. Yeah, okay, so something cool, something grotesque. Um, The cool thing is uh, here we have uh, this is just the science news. Uh, version of some new research. Giving birth gives birth to neurons. In mice, pregnancy results in new neurons that support recognition of pups. Uh, So neurogenesis, um, new new neurons, um, don't happen very often in in the adult brain or the adult uh, central nervous system, in mammals and vertebrates more generally. Uh, so whenever you find neurogenesis, evidence of neurogenesis—that is, um, the proliferation, proliferation of actually new neurons, not just new connections—you um, know, new—we we do form new connections all the all time, the time. Yeah. Um, but actually new neurons is, is uh, pretty rare. And there's, and this is, you know, this is mice. Um, we don't we don't know for humans, but um, there's this this cool research. Uh, and actually, just if I can have my screen back for a moment, I'll just show the actual um, the actual paper. Um, I don't know it's not going full screen for me um so here's the here's the original research um, pregnancy responsive pools of adult neural stem cells for transient neurogenesis in mothers note transient um and so what they think what what these researchers think is going on is that um neurogenesis late in pregnancy in the olfactory bulb and lobe Mm. (laughs) yeah exactly for these mammals which like most mammals the vast majority of mammals primates being a notable exception are olfactory forward you can see you you can't see in the background our dog moving around with her snout like that you know you know dogs you know mammals we've all got big noses with primates being an exception and olfaction is a big part of um of what we do in order to make sense of our our world. And in fact, blessed in, are the big noses. Blessed are the big noses, for <laughs> they shall smell the world. Um, and in fact, in primates, um, the primitive olfactory bulb and lobe have become, um, the forebrain that is mostly associated with, um, scenario building and memory. So, you know, th- thinking both backwards and forwards in time, uh, and it's part of why it's part of why we, we are so good at those things is that we've taken over our primitively smell focused, um, part of the brain and also part of why probably, um, smells evoke memories so effectively for people. But, um, anyway, these, in these mice, um, late. Pregnancy in late pregnancy, mothers have neurogenesis in their olfactory regions. And uh, the thought is, the hypothesis is um, to explain the finding that there's neurogenesis late in pregnancy, um, is that this helps them. immediately um, recognize and then remember what their pups smell like so that they will have um, kin recognition through olfaction uh, very effectively through the period of time when they will be lactating and um, actively mothering their pups. Pups? I don't know if pups is the right word for mice. Pups is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. That's super interesting. Isn't it? Um, Yeah. So you would extrapolate from this. I would say it's much less likely in humans or even primates that it would be in the olfactory lobe, but it's not unlikely that there is a parallel process,
1: or it might be. And given that the olfactory lobe now is mostly about memory and and scenario building, again, you know, th- thinking through time, yeah. both backwards and forwards, um, and given that we have the longest childhoods of any organisms on on the planet relative to lifespan, um, you know, m- making being really clear about this this is mine, like this everything about this baby, Yeah, I want to know everything and never forget.
0: Right. Now there's less of an issue with respect to recognizing, especially as you get out towards humans, there's much yeah. less of an, uh, uh, an ambiguity. Um, yeah, that's but true. it's actually, it raises a question about other creatures where there's even more of an ambiguity. Yeah,
1: so like you don't. Bats. Like bats, interesting. Bats yeah. in
0: a colony of hundreds of thousands mm. or millions of animals. Um, the ability to recognize one's own offspring is known, but how does it work? Yes. And you might see this even more extensively there.
1: Yeah. No, actually, um, you can put this up. I'm not going to explain the whole um, image. So this is just from the, um, yeah, this is just from the Science News Report. This is not from the original article, but they have a little schematic um, in which, you know, here's the brain, here's the mom brain going, oh, I know you're mine and you're mine and you're mine and you're mine. And you can see, you know, this is like, is the case in most, uh, most mammals it's a it's a clutch. It's a it's a litter, right? There's there's a, a bunch of babies. But mice don't tend to, I think, ha- do colony breeding yeah. or do they?
0: Well, but well, two things. Yeah. One it is uh mm-hmm. this would be uh, I this is yeah, a no, hypothesis. I totally I'm gonna, know where you're going. Yeah. A hypothesis yeah. I'm gonna put on the table, but I don't leave it likely. Yeah. I just think it's plausible. Yep could be an effect of the captive breeding colonies. Right. Which because they
1: are colony breed. They are, colony, they are um, I'd
0: be curious. I don't know exactly breeding. how it's done, but right. it's possible that this is Still, a- Still,
1: neurogenesis is such a big leap if that wasn't mm-hmm. happening at all.
0: No, 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 no. I, I, I see that sort of trigger. Neurogenesis is a thing. There's some mechanism. It could be triggered by a powerful evolutionary force the same way the elongation of mouse telomeres was. Again, I don't think this is likely, yeah. but possible. Right. But here's the thing. That I think this actually predicts cuckoldry in rodents.
1: But this would be a better prediction if it's if the neurogenesis latent pregnancy is only in rodents.
0: Like, um, well, let's put it this way. The. Best prediction would be that this pattern of neurogenesis right. would be present where cuckoldry had been a significant evolutionary force, and that this had yes. been an evolved response to it.
1: Yeah. So this is this is um, moms really want to know who their kids are, and I guess um, <clears throat> part of part of what this is going to be a response to is moms are going to have to go out and forage uh-huh. forage, right? And so. Um, you know, if they have to leave their kids behind, either with no caretaker at all, or with a dad if they're monogamous, or with a helper at the nest, um, then when they come back, they want to know for sure um, who they're nursing, who they're letting latch
0: on. Well, but again, not a big deal if you've, right. if you know because they're in some, you know, pocket in a log and there's nobody else there. Right. But if there are other individuals that are dropping uh, babies off because it's right. a bargain, yep. Then uh so anyway um let's just leave that as a prediction if we see a paper that says cuckoldry and i mean maybe there are such papers i don't know but um if there aren't and we see one then we'll have a good Mm -hmm. cohesive story as to why this would evolve
1: yeah um and i'd love to see um i'd love to know what's going on with primates if we have neurogenesis in pregnancy and primates and and where and
0: yeah, I mean, I bet, I bet you do, um, but I bet you it's. Uh, let's see if we can predict where it would be.
1: Well, I mean, the where in the brain, you know, a a primates have taken over so much of the the historically the primitively olfactory brain for um, basically our cortex. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that thinking through exactly where in the brain it's going to be is going to be all that useful
0: yeah and and as you pointed out at the beginning it might be done through dendritic growth rather right. than neurogenesis right
1: okay so that's cool mm-hmm. uh the next thing is not oh no um it seemed okay um it's the diaper spa
0: excuse me yeah
1: um so we have our our we have libs of tiktok and our friend holly to thank for bringing this to my attention, but um, boston.com website also ran a piece on it. Um, And here, let's just start there. You can show my screen. What's a diaper spa? Writes boston.com. What's a diaper spa and why is it raising eyebrows in New Hampshire? People tend to fear anything that they fail to comprehend, said the owner of the diaper spa, a new business that's stoking local controversy. A debate over a new spa is brewing in southern New Hampshire, where some residents in Atkinson are taking a stand against the diaper spa, a nursery-like business for adults who role-play as children and, yes, wear diapers. Wait, what? According to its website, the diaper spa is open to, quote, all diaper-wearing individuals who seek acceptance, respite, and care. Photos on the spa's page show a space decorated with the soft comforts of a nursery, complete with toys, folded diapers, and an adult-sized crib. Dr. Colleen Ann Murphy, the spa's owner, offers a range of services that include virtual playdates at $200 an hour, as well as a $1,500 all-day diaper B&B experience that promises rejuvenating pampering, quote, for the little one inside of you. Okay, so if I can have my screen back. Boston.com goes on... to say that there's a mom. So th- also the, the location it's not opened yet. The location of this thing is right near a park. And there's a mom in the local area who's like, "I'm not going to take my kids to that park and actually I'm going to set up a change.org petition um saying actually please don't give them a business license. What what the actual hell?" right? And interestingly, the particulars of the change.org petition um, have now been resolved and so it's been taken down like 3 days after it went up, but boston.com because this is like this is very close to boston this is like this is going to be something that uh, the woman who's running this diaper spa is hoping to get the i don't know the diaper elites from boston to go to um reports positively about this diaper spa thing and then says about the mom who is concerned about it that her opening up um, no don't I'm, I'm looking for it don't op- don't show my screen please um that her opening up a Uh, The change.org petition is her doubling down. There it is. Gallagher doubled down on those concerns. So we know the bias of this boston.com outfit, but let's just take a look, shall we, at the website itself. Okay. Uh, So this is um, from Reflections. Okay. Nighttime Comfort, a guide to overnight diapering for ABDLs. What, you might ask, is an ABDL. An ABDL is an adult baby diaper lover. For many adult baby diaper lovers, nighttime diapering is essential to their lifestyle, providing comfort and security. This blog post will explore techniques and products that enhance the nighttime diapering experience. From specific types to trusted brands, we'll delve into creating a secure and worry-free night. Okay, I think we've had enough. I I spent a little bit of time with this, and I realized that I actually was not controlling the look of disgust on Mm. my face with just every, every moment of looking at this site. So there's obvious concerns about um, who the people are. Like there's, there's the umbrella level concerns about who the people are, who would be attracted to go to this thing and having it next to a park and all of this. And there's been accusations of like, these people must be, um, you know pedophiles at the very least they're they're mentally ill why are we encouraging them all of this let's let's be a little bit more basic even what society tells people that it's okay to give up on what may be the very first item of control that we gain over ourselves This is the first thing that humans learn how to do. Uh It is utterly fundamental to being with other human beings, to being with them. In what world could you possibly imagine that looking for care, looking for comfort, is to be found by shitting in your own pants? cannot believe that we are here
0: it is the natural there is a slippery slope that involves attempting to police people's um meanness yeah yes so yes is is it good to be mean no right but once you start saying well making fun of people is bad right And you start policing the places where it probably is just purely bad, right? The point is you're opening the door to saying, well, actually, making fun of people has no place, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And once Shame
1: has no place.
0: Right. And the point is, as we make this point across many, many domains, if you have a doctor who thinks pain is a malady rather than an adaptation, don't go to that doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Your pain is there to help guide you. Now, it may be that you have pain in a phantom limb. That's a problem. That's not helping you. Mm -hmm. But in general, if you're in pain, there's a reason and it's trying to tell you something, right? Same thing can be said for unhappiness. The same thing can be Mm -hmm. said for shame and feeling humiliated. And the idea that we are going to take away the feedbacks that allow people to develop a proper sense of what is reasonable, right? Yes, we have people... Who are saying, well, why shouldn't I be allowed to wear X, Y, and Z? What is the reason? And the answer is it's not, you know, Chesterton's fence being what it is, the precautionary principle being what it is. There are lots of things that a natural human society will train you to, that you will be better off for having picked up the lesson. And it doesn't mean you won't have some moment of profound embarrassment in you know, childhood or your teen years or something. But the point is that embarrassment causes you to build the circuit that prevents you from doing the thing that is embarrassing yeah. you.
1: And so there's some stuff, you know, it's, it's an MD who started this thing. And so, of course, her credentials are the really important thing here. This is the first MD-led diaper spa, which suggests that there are other diaper spas. Oh my God. But, okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Her, her weasel words... To explain to the non-adult, baby diaper-loving public why this is okay is well. I was originally interested in this because there are people who, uh, for um, like physical injury reasons, need to wear diapers as adults. They are they're incontinent. There's nothing to be done about it. How dare you conflate that with this? First yep. of all, like I'm, I imagine. Uh, that uh, those people would really rather you stay the hell away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, she goes to, so I got interested in, you know, why people sometimes feel that they need, feel that they need to, but I want, but I want, and I'm not quoting her directly because I'm not going to go back on that website right now, but um, she she tries to make this point that frankly sounds a lot like a point you have made over in um, psychedelic space, around, not for recreation, um, very entertaining, very interesting, but, um, it's more than recreation. And she tries to walk that line here and say, um, we're not, this is not a spa for people who just like to wear diapers. This is a spa for people who feel they need to wear diapers. And this is her her client her imagined future clientele is mostly not the people who actually really do and also feel like having their nappies changed by a woman. Um, this is this is people who have decided, just like the vast majority of people who are claiming to be trans, this is a need. If I don't get this, I will die. If I don't get this, you are negating who I am, what my identity is. I will not be allowed to, I will not be able to go on. This is that same conflation where all you have to do is say, oh no, this isn't something I want. This is something I need. And suddenly we're not allowed to say no. Suddenly, as soon as you change it from I want it to I need it, and there's been actually no change at all in anything except the word that you used, now we aren't allowed to shame, we aren't allowed to critique, we aren't allowed to say, actually, that's not okay. Get control of your bowels already and figure out some other way to explore who you are.
0: It's going to be some version of Munchausen syndrome. Right, where the idea is there's some category that we're going to deem protected in which there's something you can do that forces somebody else to do something and for whatever terrible reason you find that gratifying. Yeah. And I agree with you. It has a lot to do with uh, the um, confrontational version of trans Mm -hmm. where people are effectively daring others to notice that they are not the sex that they nominally are presenting as. Yeah. Right. So this is, this is like that. And it really, I mean, it just, obviously there was a safety on the gun and we removed it somewhere, probably as a result of some arguably noble instinct to protect somebody from something but it was at the top of a slippery slope you know we took away the the caution watch your step slippery slope you know no lifeguard whatever the sign said yeah right and then the point is we've been marched one step at a time to ever stupider things that we are forbidden to comment on forbidden to view as shameful yeah and um you know i, I look at the end of the day Here's where we are. We have this insanity. If compassion is your thing, isn't it more compassionate to allow a bit of teasing and mockery in order to get people to correct their program so that they don't need to go to a spa where they can wear diapers, right? Isn't that mockery actually serving their interests, even though there may be a moment of intense humiliation for them that then causes them to realize, oh, this is a program I really need to change, Yeah. right? That's the compassionate thing. And you know, yeah. I mean I, we've made this point before but there is this intense um fervor against bullying right and look bullies yep. suck there's no question about it but yep. if you make all if you assume that all bullying comes from bullies right then you're making a mistake because in fact people by revealing you know even the people in your schoolyard are revealing something about what others can see that you don't necessarily know that they can see and they are helping train you and you know it's the same thing in a scientific context your lab mates are not doing you a favor by telling you that your work is awesome when it's not your lab mates are doing you a favor by telling you hey that point is not compelling here's what I see that argues against it, right? And causing you, yes, in that moment, it may be very unpleasant to face that question, but you need somebody to put you to that test so that at the point that your work gets into the world, you're ready for it.
1: So, I mean, there's there's three different manifestations, and I, I, I want us to be careful. I know you're not actually um, synonymizing these, but it, it, an uncareful listener might imagine that you are saying that a schoolyard bully is a scientific critic, is... Um, someone who would shame those who would like to um, wear diapers and have someone else clean up their feces. Mm. Um, the 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 critique of science, which is utterly necessary for science to actually do what science does, uh, is uh, works when um, I, okay, I've done a piece of research and I'm putting it um, to I'm, I'm, I've shared it with you, and you say, oh. I, kind of, whew, I get that you like you've already done the work and like and because you're a field biologist, you already came home, and like you can't really redo this, but I feel like there's a methodological flaw, so you don't actually know what you think you know it sucks for me, it sucks for me a lot, but I need to know i mean it's not going to go away, and I need to not publish that thinking that i didn't that I did know something that I did demonstrate something with the experiment that I did that I actually didn't because I had not yet seen that there was a methodological flaw. That is different from the, like, canonical schoolyard bully who goes, hmm, who's weak? You. Okay, what's weak about you? You're um, developmentally delayed, and that has n- you have no responsibility for that whatsoever. It's nothing you did to yourself. It's nothing you asked for. It's not, you didn't come to me asking for critique. You're a kid who's developmentally delayed, and frankly, everyone already knows that, but everyone was being polite and trying to include you in the things that you could be included in and not drawing you into things until very recently that you actually had no place in because your developmental delays means that you can't actually um, compete equally with others in some realms. The schoolyard bully goes, I'm gonna find the weakness and I'm gonna go after the weakness and the weakness and the weakness, and it's immutable and it's unchosen and it's uninvited. uh, And uh, it persists even after recognition. Maybe that's the distinction, right? That the scientific critique—you um, know—you need to keep hammering me if I say no, it's fine. Like I definitely know what I found, and you say, "Well, I know that your data say what they say, but given this flaw in the experiment, in the experiment, your methodology can't possibly have revealed what you think it does. So it doesn't matter what your data say; um, they don't—they don't mean what you think. You actually do get to, and I would ask that you do keep hammering me on that until I. Look, until you figure out a way to say it in a way that I can go like, oh, God, you're right. Damn it. Like, well. I, right? But the the kid who's developmentally laid on the playground um, wasn't asking for it, doesn't need it, isn't helped by it. Um, and so the bully doesn't actually have any legitimate reason to keep on doing that, nor in fact did he have any reason to start doing it in the first place because it was some immutable characteristic of some kid who um, didn't deserve to be picked on.
0: I think you have all the pieces of the puzzle that we need okay. in, in in that. One is the bully is, lo- is is loathsome when they pick on somebody for something that isn't their responsibility and they can't do anything about it. Yeah. Development, developmentally... Uh, disabled kid is just purely a victim and, and the bully is a nasty human being for choosing that thing. But I'm trying to draw a distinction between bullying, which is a natural feature of childhood and a bully who takes that on as yeah. their job and goes around. And so with,
1: we need like a, fl- we need a different word or Well, something. We've yeah. talked
0: about the fact that very often the term we have is applied to the malignant version of something that has a normal version that doesn't have a name right so shaming
1: does feel like this is part this is this is part of
0: right and you know needling is this side of shaming right mm-hmm. shaming is more barbed needling is like hey we can see that thing that you think we can't see you know <laughs> um so yeah. i mean mm-hmm. guys do this all the freaking time right. right they do it all the freaking time your best friends reveal the little stuff that you know right and women do it more cryptically much right more or they or will very publicly each other yeah. they will support each other when they shouldn't because the point is then you don't realize that you're on display and your friends didn't you know your friends
1: you have toilet paper stuck to your shoe i didn't tell you <laughs> yeah. yeah that's terrible
0: but so okay so there's a difference between picking on somebody for something they can't change which has no potential benefit and picking on somebody in some way, needling them, or yeah, yeah. maybe slightly more, to get them to change something that they should change for their own benefit. But it needs to be
1: something that they can change. Right, right. Right.
0: But the other thing is, in the example, the scientific example.
1: Wanting to wear a diaper as an adult is something you can change. You, and you, you better, <laughs> yeah. right? You just, yeah.
0: you suck if you're taking this on voluntarily, right? That's something yeah. that, the onus is on you to mm-hmm. fix that and not put the rest of us to discussing the okayness of it, because it's not okay. Right. Um. And I would also just point out that this behavior is um, unsanitary and is only rendered sanitary by civilization. So the point is, civilization, which is making it possible for you to play in this disgusting way, has a right to demand that you don't, right? Because we're, you know... You, you're, we're going to rescue you with antibiotics. You've got a sink with hot and cold running water and soap made in a factory somewhere. Right. The point and is, and you have hired
1: w- someone who's willing to handle your shit. Congratulations. Yes.
0: Yeah. So anyway, you yeah. have you have an obligation to cut that out. But to your point about going after somebody who has a methodological flaw after they've already come home and there's nothing they can do about the fact that their data is compromised. That's a bad version of the story. But mm-hmm. the way that this works. Well, it that's, I mean, it
1: was, it's, it, that's, that's why I use this like, oh, that really sucks for me. Like, I, yeah, but but, 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 it's, but it's better than I know now Then before I try to publish it. And, you know, it gets to peer review because peer review means nothing. And then it's out there. And then, you know, the whole world who's still alive and can think goes, but, oh, wow, you published a piece of crap. You must not be a good scientist.
0: Right. But you're still yeah. zoomed in too much on the one piece of work. Okay. And the point is a culture of people who honorably call each other out for flaws in their reasoning produces the internalization of the critic, right? One thing that is very clear, somebody can present a piece of work that looks good, right? You find out whether they know what they're talking about in the Q&A, right? right? When somebody says, (laughs) this looks wrong to me, and they have the answer, and it's compelling. And the point is, oh, this person knows the flaws or the potential flaws, and they've plugged those holes and the work actually mm-hmm. is what it looks like because they're not covering they haven't told you stand here and this looks good if you right. stand in the spot right. you can scrutinize it yeah. you can push it around and it stands up
1: and you know and sometimes the answer is yep uh that is that is intentionally vague because here's all the stuff I'm gonna show you a tiny bit right now that's downstream and that's actually a different piece of research that I don't have time to go into here, but here's here's what you saw and the, the gloss of what it means. Right. And right. So, so like some response that indicates I know. Like I, and even, even if people don't say it, if there's something in them that goes like, I'm glad, good, because I don't like, I know that there's a couple of these things that I had to do a little bit of hand-raving because you never have time to tell the absolutely complete story as you know it. Right. Right.
0: But having that stuff means that you did the homework to make sure that the work actually is what it says it is. It's not just designed to get you a paper. Right. Um, Right. So internalizing that critic is only something that you're going to do if other people have done the job of critic well. Yep. And so in any case, yeah, at the point that you've come home with data that's flawed, that's because that process was not intense enough. Right. In advance. Right. That's the reason that graduate school, when it worked, took many years is that in your first year, you go out and you collect some data and then you come back and you present it and you get questions you can't field and you realize what it is that you have to do in order to make the work robust by the time you have an advanced degree ostensibly you've learned that lesson and you know you know about that domain enough that there shouldn't be any glaring flaws yeah right but
1: i get i mean this may be um much more specific to me than than most people but you and i did that a lot since we've been together to each other even before we understood that we were doing it scientifically exactly um but for me being alone in the field for many months at a time with, you know, a field assistant, um, but not you, uh, often I had you, um, and then we could do it, <clears throat> um, together, but, um, the five-month field season that I collected most of the data, uh, half, of my, half of the data for my, uh, for my dissertation when you were not with me, and uh, when I did have a field assistant, she was brilliant, but she was 10 years my junior, and, um, and mostly I was doing the, the thinking through possibilities and experimental design and such on my own, was the moment that I point to. You know, coming back from that and then, you know, and, and then revealing it to everyone. So, like, you know, poke holes in it, you know, shoot it down and not having it shot down. It's like, yep, I thought I, I, not even I thought so. I mean, if I'm being honest, I thought I knew it. I know. Did it. Yep. I didn't, I did not know before that field season, in part because you and I had mostly traveled together and mostly done it together. I did not know for sure of which I, of what I was capable. And so- doing putting yourself at the risk of oh god what if there's a big flaw here and that entire like that's a year gone yep. right um, because field seasons being the way they are you can't just be like well I guess I can I right back on a plane um but you know be be ready at the point that you go to you know learn a ton and be like okay now I'm actually on my own and this is where the rubber hits the road it it's, is it's, it's and remarkable
0: it, it- goes to what we say in our book about consciousness. Yeah, the Consciousness initially evolves in order to allow people to pool cognitive resources. But then once you have the tool of being able to understand what's on somebody else's mind based on the cues that they give you and what they say, now you have a module that can have a debate in your own head. Mm-hmm. Right? right? And yes. that thing that can have a debate yeah. in your yeah. own head is your best friend, because mm-hmm. it can be a critic. You, you can have this idea that you think might be right, and then you can have a critic say, "Well, but here's the ways it might not be right." And the point is, by the time you get to an actual discussion with somebody else, mm-hmm. you've already had the debate. Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. Um, and if we forbid criticism, you don't develop that,
1: mm-hmm. and you end up with diaper spas. I guess. <laughs> I think. I mean, if you forbid criticism, this is where we land.
0: Yeah, if you forbid criticism and if you uh, start thinking that every time a person is uncomfortable, something has gone wrong rather than a person is feeling uncomfortable because that's a natural process by which we get better. Yes. um, Then you end up there. Yeah.
1: All right. I think we're good.
2: I think we've done it.
1: I think we did it. Uh, We will uh, be back in a week. Um, with another live stream in the meantime uh, please subscribe to our channel on rumble uh, and um, even if even if you mostly just listen come over to rumble subscribe to the channel it it actually helps us out and uh, become a member at locals where we've got um, some Great uh, locals only content and we're putting up more all the time and we do we did this private Q&A just uh, this last weekend Which is still available and uh, do some AMA's and um, lots lots of good stuff there So um, those are the places we're really trying to encourage people to go to I also write at naturalselections.substack.com uh, every week this week I wrote about um, the carbon footprint of <laughs> urban food versus uh, con- conventionally grown food and how actually our alma mater put out research that suggests the carbon footprint of, um, of the food that people who just want to grow food in their backyards is higher and so they should really stick to buying the crap that you can buy at the store. It was an embarrassing piece of research. I wrote about that. I also wrote about the origin of shoulders, which um, the comparative anatomist to me came out. I'm really excited about this.
0: You wrote about <laughs> the origin of shoulders. Are you going to do a follow-up on the temperature of shoulders?
1: uh n- n- no what does that mean
0: cold shoulders i'm
1: thinking oh um yeah. i mean you you want to do a guest post on natural selection
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes but not not about cold shoulders okay. maybe about soft shoulders
1: soft shoulders yes. yeah I, I thought somehow i was thinking about roads i was I, the temperature of shoulders on roads i no, i hadn't gotten there yeah no yeah okay um and uh, of course, we have uh, some cool merch at darks- darkhorsestore.org. Um, straight up, just dark horse stuff. Uh, we've got a nice shirt. Cut that shit out. Cut that shit out. Yeah, that's 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 good Actually,
0: stuff. Actually, we gotta send a stack of those to the to the, diaper the diaper spa people. Spa. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's it's a little bit too literal, though. It's
0: a little too literal. Yeah. Ugh. But I don't know. Maybe they'd get the message. On the other hand, we could be convicted of bullying.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah we got jake's micro pizza if you're in a place where you're being asked to wear a mask just
0: eat some micro pizza it, they
1: can't ask you to mask while you're eating can right.
0: they no that it's impossible you can't do yeah. it i mean as tiny as jake's micro pizza and is, it is weed it does not get through the pores of a mask so no. you have to you can't wear the mask while you're eating it. yeah
1: nothing nothing to be done blueberries because oxidants happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pfizer the breakthroughs never stop they really don't it's a good one. Anyway, lots of good stuff there at darkhorsestore.org, um, and we do still have uh, you have conversations at uh, at uh, pa- actually your Patreon conversations this weekend. Yes. Um, so that that's happening, and um, and check out our sponsors this week, which were Maui Nui Venison, American Hartford Gold, and Freespoke. Uh, and until we see you next time, be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside.
2: Be
0: well, everyone.